His story is our story. His story is our story. So we've been going through a series on the story of Jesus, right? The, the life of Jesus. And Jesus' story does not end with his death. It did not end with his resurrection. His story did not end with, even with his ascension. His story continues even to today. Jesus continued and still continues to work through his churches even today. So now we're going to shift a little bit and we are going to be going through the book of Acts. Uh, mainly just the first part of the book of Acts. Um, and we're going to see how churches got started. Uh, it's, this is an important thing for us if we are to grow or, and we are to minister to our areas. We have to look and see how the apostles did it, right? We have to see how uh, Jesus' early followers built churches. And so we are going to follow Jesus' model for building a church. So a little bit of information on the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a history book. Uh, it is so the Gospels and the Book of Acts are the division of the New Testament uh, that is devoted to history. Uh, and so the Book of Acts is the last history book uh, in the New Testament. Um, it is also a continuation of the Book of Luke. And so uh, think of Acts as Luke Part Two, right? So the, the two books go very closely. Uh, together in the book of Luke, uh, obviously focuses on the life of Jesus, but in the book of Acts, focuses focuses on Jesus's followers, right? And so, uh, even if you look at the beginning of the book of Acts and the end of the book of Luke, they overlap a little bit. Uh, this is because Luke wanted to make it clear that there is a continuation there. Um, so, this book of Acts is the true uh, church history book of the Bible. And so the rest of the epistles and letters and stuff, those are letters to the churches. They are historically accurate. But the history book of the Bible for the church is the book of Acts. And so let's go ahead and turn to Acts today. And before we read that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for... Uh, this church, Lord, and, and the work that we are doing here uh, in Armona, I, I thank you for putting that upon us uh, and for sending uh, your disciples to go and spread the gospel, Lord. I, I just thank you for that mission. Uh, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would allow us to continue in that and allow us to do things your way and help us to understand your word this morning as we go through it. Uh, keep our hearts and our minds open to what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we can very much learn a lot from history. Uh, we don't have to just look at various little lessons uh, throughout the Bible, but we can actually look at the things that really happened and learn from those things. So let's go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11, and understand that this is the uh, introduction to the book of Acts here. And so uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, the former account I have made, O Theophilus, or, sorry, Theophilus, 
uh, of all that Jesus began uh, both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up after, after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments uh, to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them uh, dur during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized truly with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward, the heaven, toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into, into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So, as I said, these verses... Uh, are at the opening of the book of Acts, uh, and they offer a blueprint uh, for the entire book of Acts. And so the entire book of Acts can be described by the things that are mentioned here. And also, this is a blueprint for the Lord's churches. We see here three things that Jesus did with his church that churches are to continue to do today. He assembled his church, he equipped his church, and he sent his church. So he assembled, he equipped, and he sent. So first this morning, let's look at the fact that he assembled his church. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 again of Acts chapter 1. It says, the former account I have made, or I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began uh, both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so, first of all, remember, this is Luke writing this. This is Luke part two, right? And so what he, when he says, the former account I, have, I made, he's talking about the book of Luke, so the gospel of Luke, right? And so he's talking about all the things that Jesus did and taught about until he was taken up. But it also talks about here uh, the commandments that he gave to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so when did Jesus choose his apostles? These are the first 12 disciples that Jesus had. 
And so uh, we don't have apostles today. Those were the men that directly followed Jesus, right? And so uh, today we are all disciples of Christ, but we're not apostles. That's a special office there. But Jesus created his church during his ministry. To understand this first, we have to understand what the word church means. So what is a church? Well, first of all, the word church uh, is actually not the right word. Uh, the word church is not the word, does not come from the Greek word that is used in the Bible to describe a church. Uh, the word church actually comes from Old English, uh, and it's uh, charise, uh, or, and then, which actually comes from the Greek word uh, kareke, uh, which means uh, the Lord's. And this was often used with the Greek word oikia, which means the Lord's house. And so you might be looking at me like, why does that not refer to a church? Well, uh, the church is not the Lord's house. Uh, this building is not the church. The people are the church. Okay? And the word that the Bible uses, the Greek word that the Bible uses, is not that kareke uh, word. It is the word ekklesia. And so the word that the Bible uses is the word ekklesia. Now, the word ekklesia means assembly. And so the word ekklesia means assembly. It comes from the Greek words. So it's a combination of the Greek words ek kaleo, which means called out. And so from this, we get that a church or an assembly, this assembly that's talking about is a called out group of people, a called out group of people. Now, understand that this word assembly, this word ecclesia here, does not always refer to a church in the Bible. Uh, there are times, as in Acts 19, uh, where it refers really to a mob, so an unlawful assembly. So uh, it's an assembly of people. Now, this is important because we are making a distinction between the building and the people. Uh, and there's a lot of things about a church being an assembly of people that matter. Um, first of all, uh, our assembly here is the group that is gathered here to worship God. It is not a universal body of believers. Now, I do believe that other people are saved that are not part of this church. That's an obvious thing. But there is not an invisible church. You have, in order to be an assembly, you have to assemble together. So we believe in a local, visible assembly. Just like Jesus calling out his first disciples. That word called out there. That's what Jesus did when he was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees the two brethren and he calls them out. So Jesus called his first disciples, that et kaleo there. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
they immediately left their nets and followed him. And so this is actually the creation of the first church there. When Jesus called his first disciples, so not when uh, Jesus was talking to Peter much later, but when Jesus called his first disciples, that was a church. Now, understand that, that is, uh, a church is an organization that's gathered together to worship the Lord. And so while Jesus was here, his church moved along with him. And so that was that church. There was no church outside of where Jesus was, right? Those were the body of believers that were gathered around Jesus. Understand also that this church was not built upon Peter. It was built upon himself. Jesus built his church upon himself. He is the rock by which the church is built upon. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It says, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now this may seem like Jesus is saying to Peter, you know, well, you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. That sounds pretty obvious, right? But that's not so. You see, we have to understand the Greek a little bit again. And also, first of all, the context of that passage, Jesus had just got done rebuking Peter. And so uh, at this moment, when Jesus is talking to Peter, understand what Peter's name means. Now, this is a name that Jesus gave Peter. Okay, so Peter's original name was Simon. But the name that Jesus gave Peter was Petros, right? And what does Petros mean? A lot of people say it means a rock, right? But it is a rock, but it is a small stone or pebble. A small stone or pebble. What's interesting about this is the word that Jesus used for rock when he's saying this to Peter is Petra which means a cliff rock or a boulder. And so literally what he is saying to Peter there is, Peter, you are a small stone or pebble. And Jesus referring to himself says, upon this rock, I will build my church. You see, Jesus built his church upon himself. He is that great big boulder that the church is built upon. And that is why... The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. See, if it was built upon Peter, it would have been gone long ago. Also, Jesus is not only the rock or the boulder that the church is built upon, but he is also the cornerstone that the church is built on. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, it says, Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures, referring to the Old Testament here uh, in Psalms? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, what does that mean? Well, the cornerstone is the first stone laid in a foundation, right? And the reason why they have this stone is because they put that stone there. That way they can line up all of the other stones. 
And so all of the other stones in that building were lined up according to that cornerstone. And so if Jesus is our cornerstone, we are supposed to be lined up directly according to Jesus. That is how we are to act there. So Jesus is our cornerstone. But not only is he the rock, the cornerstone, but he's also the entire foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Interesting thing. So the building that we are in right now is not the church, but we are the building. We are the church. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the foundation that we are all built upon. And so what's interesting is so Jesus is this rock, this cliffside, this immovable object, right? We, he, we talk about the unstoppable force and the immovable object. You've heard that before. Well, Jesus is that boulder that can't be moved, right? And he is that cornerstone that we are all supposed to line up according to. But he is also the foundation that we are all standing upon. You see, a house is very weak without a strong foundation. Our foundation needs to be on Christ. So Jesus assembled his church. He built it upon himself. Jesus also equipped his church. And so Jesus didn't just send off his disciples without any teaching uh, or any preparation. He didn't just say, okay, now come follow me, now go immediately. No, that's not the way Jesus did it. His disciples actually followed him for about three and a half years. And then after that is when he sent them out. During this time, this equipping time that Jesus had with his disciples, the first thing he did was taught them doctrine. See, we, we see this recapped in Acts 1.3. It says, To whom he also presented himself, alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And so we see this also throughout Jesus' entire ministry. There are many times throughout the Bible where Jesus takes aside his disciples and teaches them. Many of the healings that he did with other people is in when he's healing the blind man, the man that's blind from birth. That was teaching a lesson to his disciples. Because remember, that started off with a, uh, one of his disciples asking a question. Who sinned, this man or his parents, right, that he was born blind? Jesus teaches them that it was for his glorification. And so Jesus teaches his disciples. He taught them doctrine. He taught them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus also led them. He led by example. 
So Jesus didn't just tell them what to do. He also showed them what to do. He led by his example. Throughout his ministry, he went around doing healings. He served people. He served people. Jesus didn't come to be served when he was here, but he came to serve. To serve. And he showed this to his disciples by washing their feet, their dirty, grungy feet. Our Lord did that for them. So he did this as an example to tell his disciples that they must also serve people. We must do the same. We must be a people who serve other people. Jesus also preached as he went. He preached. The Sermon on the Mount, that's a big, long sermon there that Jesus gave. But also, in between the healings and everywhere he went, he talked not just to his disciples, but he also preached to the people that were around him. If we are to follow this example, we must also preach. You see that when the disciples uh, then were sent by Jesus, what was the first thing they started doing? They started going to places where people were gathered, the synagogues, and they started preaching the gospel. And you'll see that all throughout the book of Acts. They, everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. This is the necessity of preaching here. It says, How shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, that preacher that's talked about there, I've said this before, that's not talking about someone who stands behind a pulpit. We are all preachers in this sense. We are all to be proclaiming the gospel. Jesus didn't just serve, though, and he didn't just preach, but he also sacrificed. Jesus also made that ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Jesus gave up his life for us so that we would have everlasting life if we believe in him. Well, if we are to follow this example, we will have sacrifice in our lives. Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is Jesus speaking. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, all this prosperity gospel stuff, it's, it's all a bunch of malarkey, right? Jesus literally said, if you were going to follow him, to deny yourself and to take up your cross daily. It's going to be hard to follow Jesus. You're going to have to say no to some things. Jesus also, when he was equipping them, he sent his Holy Spirit to them. So after all of this, right, when Jesus was ascending, he said that a comforter would come, right? 
So Jesus sent them his Holy Spirit to work in his church. You see, we talk, we know about the day of Pentecost, right? Understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a one-time event where the Holy Spirit came into his church. Now, where is that Holy Spirit today? That is continuing through his churches. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so this whole, the Holy Spirit that Jesus is sending, this comforter, it's a coach. It is to guide his churches. See, Jesus is so awesome of a leader that he didn't just abandon his disciples after he sent them. He told them, wait for a little bit. You're going to have another comforter come and is going to coach you. You're not on your own. The Holy Spirit guides his churches even to today. So after Jesus equipped them, he sent them. Jesus sent them. Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. It says, But you, will, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me, in both Jeru or sorry in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth now when he had spoken these things while they watched he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight so before Jesus ascended he sent his disciples on a mission he gave them the great commission right that we are to be his witnesses. We are to be his witnesses. What does that mean to be a witness? There is a legal sense of what a witness is. That is someone who saw something and is called upon to testify to it. That is an eyewitness, right? Well, these disciples of Christ, they witnessed the life of Christ. And they were called upon then to testify to that. Now, the Old Testament in Leviticus actually has some very real consequences for refusing to bear witness. And so that is a negative thing to not do what you're told in that sense. Well, we have also been a witness. We've been a witness to what has happened in our own lives when we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why we call that our testimony, right? We are also a witness to God's word. And so those things we can share with people. Now, like I said, the Holy Spirit coming upon the church and giving them power, those powers that it's talking about there, those have ceased, and that we'll talk about another time. But what we have is the completed word of God that we can share with people and we can be a witness too. And we also have our own testimonies of how Jesus worked in our lives that we should be sharing with people. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. It says, 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Jesus sent his disciples on a mission there to be his witnesses. Notice the three things, that, the three places, essentially, that Jesus tells them to be witnesses in. The first one is in Jerusalem. Sorry, I'm backing up a little bit. In, in Acts, we see this. And the first one is in Jerusalem. That is a city. Right? That is their immediate area. Does that mean that we should all leave from here and go to Jerusalem and be witnesses there? No. But we are to be witnesses in our immediate region. That is our first priority. Our Jerusalem is Armona, Lamore, Hanford, where we live, our neighbors. Right? Amen. We are first to be witnesses in our area. Then it says, in all Judea and Samaria, these are the regions and the neighboring regions. And so first, we are witnesses in our Jerusalem. Then we are to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Again, we're not traveling to Judea and Samaria. We are to be witnesses here. This, our Judea and Samaria would be like California and the United States after our town. Then it says, and to the end of the earth, right? These are the furthest most reaches. And so after we are being witnesses here in our immediate area, we are then to go out to the uttermost parts of the earth. So there is a hierarchy there. But the point is, is that we are to be witnesses. We are to be telling people about Jesus. And it will spread. Another thing that we are to do in being sent. We are also to be living stones. And so we talk about Jesus being that rock, right? We talk about Jesus being the cornerstone and the foundation, right? Well, a, a building needs to get built with some other stones as well. And the Bible says that we are to be living stones. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. This is talking about Jesus as that cornerstone. But it says, coming to him as to a living stone, talking about Jesus, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, then Jesus, uh, sorry, then Peter says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is that cornerstone, we are to be lining ourselves up with Jesus and we are those living stones 
being put in place. We are that we are the building, right? We are also to be helping build upon ourselves. You see, if we are living stones, right, we are to be getting other stones to build up that house upon that foundation. We are also to not idly wait. We cannot idly wait for Jesus to come back. And we are supposed to wait for Jesus to come back, but notice I said the word idly. We are not supposed to stand around gawking at the heavens, waiting for Jesus to come back. Let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 10 through 11 again. It says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So what the disciples were doing here, Jesus had just told them to go, right? And he goes up into the heaven and they just stand there staring into heaven. Then these angels have to come and tell them, why, why are you standing there staring at heaven? Jesus is going to come back. He told you he would. So go do what he told you to do. So we are not to idly wait. Jesus gave us some things to do before he came back. That is going and sharing the gospel and teaching people and baptizing. That is what we have to do. That is what Jesus told us to do. So if you wake up and you go and stand in your yard all day going, okay, Jesus, come back. I'm speaking figuratively there, but sometimes we can fall into that mode. We can fall into the mode of just waiting, not really doing anything. We need to not do that. We need to be busy for the Lord while we wait. Last point this morning. This is kind of bringing it all together. We need to do things Jesus' way. We need to do things Jesus' way. He laid it out for us. He assembled. He equipped. He sent. Therefore, if we are to follow that example, we need to assemble. You cannot be just watching church from home. That is not church. I saw a billboard the other day talking about uh, sending people home with uh, like drive-through communion, right? Where they were going to go take it home and then watch it on their TV. That's comical. That is not church. Now, you can watch a church service online, but understand that you are not being part of that church if all you're doing is watching it online. You have to assemble with your brethren. Also, we need to equip. Jesus equipped his first church. And the way that it grew is after they created new converts, 
They taught them the doctrine. They made them equipped to then go out and spread the gospel. We cannot just send people out on the street without having taught them. We have to teach our brethren. We have to equip our brethren. You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. So when one man sharpens his friend, right? We need to equip each other. We need to uh, strengthen each other in doctrine. And we also, Jesus sent his disciples, right? This is our whole mission. We need to be sharing the gospel. Now, you'll see in the book of Acts and also in the gospels, you see two things that Jesus did. There was, you see mainly service and you'll see outright preaching, right? You cannot have one without the other. We have to serve and preach. Jesus, a lot of times throughout his ministry, when he was going and doing those healings, he used those as an opportunity then to preach to people. We need to be doing the same, not that we can do healings, but we can do acts of service. And that will open up doors for us to share the gospel. So, in conclusion, again, we need to do things Jesus' way. Amen. He taught us how to do it. And so, we don't need a bunch of flashing lights or anything like that. We don't need to have all of the programs, right? We, those are good things if we want to do them, but you can't. The things that you cannot go without are assembling, equipping, and preaching, right? Sharing the gospel. Those are the three things that are laid out for us that we have to do if we want to grow. And we want, to, we want more people to come to know the Lord. So we need to be about doing those three things. As a pianist and song leader come, we're going to have a song of invitation. If you're not saved this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Understand the lengths that Jesus went to for you to come to know the Lord. He had his personal ministry. He died on the cross for all of your sins. Then he went and he sent his disciples to go and tell you about it. Understand that in order for this word to get to us here today, you understand all of the blood that, that had to be shed in order for this to come to us? It's incredible. And we should be thankful that we have God's word. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, all you have to do is two things. Repent of your sins. Make a change, right? Tell the Lord that you're sorry for the things that you have done in your past. And believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Believe in what he did for you. And then you'll be saved. And then you can go into the next stage, which is learning more about him and then preaching about him. Make a change this morning. Make that decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Do that.